Welcome to the table. Summer study. We are actually at the midway point in Mark. We're, we're getting there, I guess, the, uh, tonight at kind of a very important kind of hinge section in the scriptures. Uh, tonight our teacher is going to be Alex, not Alec. Alex. Um, <laughs> not Alex. I see that, man. What's your last name? Right. Right. Alex Wright. Get it right. Not Alec. Nah. It's Alex Wright. Okay. Um, <laughs> Alex is actually interning with Center Rick. Last year he's here doing a worship internship. This year, he, this summer, he's here doing a preaching internship because he's doing a dual major between preaching and, and worship ministry. And so he's from Johnson uh, Christian. You go Johnson Christian University? It's just Johnson University. University. Yeah. It's Johnson University now. Okay. Dropping the Christian, huh? Yeah. Okay. Whoa. That's all right. Uh, no. <laughs> um, He's from Johnson University, originally from Virginia, and uh, man, I'm excited to get to have him kind of share with us a little bit tonight. If you want to open up to Mark 7, that's where we'll be jumping in, man. I'll turn it off to you, buddy. Cool. Sounds good. Um, so, before we get into the text, um, I had a quick question for you guys that um, you can kind of discuss in groups. Um, what are some misconceptions that you have had about life or the way things work. Some just like crazy misconceptions about, um, yeah, just reality and how the world actually works. So get into groups of a couple at your tables or couches or whatever and talk about some crazy wild misconception you've had or a crazy misconception you've heard about. All right, going to give it about one more minute. All right, so who has some crazy stories about misconceptions? All right. When I first started driving, I didn't think the police could pull you over if it was a Sunday. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Alec, did you have one as well? I'm not as good as that one, but my, I thought the parking police would be forgiving at uh, OSU. I made a mistake and parked somewhere for a week, and I got like a $150 fine. Oh, wow. So I thought they were going to be like, honest mistake, you know, you didn't know it was there, thought they'd call me, nope, $150. Dang. Do we have any other crazy ones? I do have one that I said a couple weeks ago, uh, for those who weren't there. Uh, 
I used to think, I went up to my mother and I asked her, how are babies made? Oh, and yeah. she said, uh, well, when two people love each other very much, they make a baby. So I thought, uh, if I loved a girl and she secretly loved me back, then a baby would start to grow inside me. <laughs> I forgot about that one. That's awesome. So, yeah. When did that not how it works? Yeah. <laughs> I just thought nobody loved me as a child. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> so, um, one of my favorite stories about uh, misconception comes from a buddy of mine named Andrew. So, Andrew was uh, sitting at his dinner table one night, and his parents go up to him and they're like, Hey, do you want some green beans? And Andrew responds by saying, No, I don't want anything spicy for dinner. And so, his whole family kind of looks at him like, Y'all are looking at me like right now. And they're like, What are you talking about? And he's like, I don't want anything spicy. Why, why do I need to tell you? And so it turns out that Andrew is allergic to green beans. And he just thought that they were really, really, really spicy. <laughs> and so after a couple weeks, um, they're at the dinner table again. And Andrew's sitting there eating. And then he goes, is cauliflower spicy too? <laughs> And so it turns out he's allergic to all of these different vegetables, and the way that his body reacted to it was just um, by telling him that it was spicy. I think that's, that's like my, one of my all-time favorite stories about a misconception. Um, and tonight we're going to end up diving into a story about um, some huge, huge misconceptions that uh, people had about Jesus and about the way that he was going to conduct his ministry. But before we get there, um, that's towards the end of chapters 7 and 8, so we're going to kind of briefly go through everything leading up to that. Um, so the first story that we run into, uh, starting at the beginning of chapter 7, is um, this conflict that Jesus has with the Pharisees about um, his disciples not washing their hands before they eat. And um, Jesus gets really, really frustrated with them about how strict they're being about this. And um, similar to uh, conflict that he had with the Pharisees earlier in the book, he calls them out and he says that um, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them, not what enters them. Um, basically t challenging, once again, um, where the hearts of the Pharisees are and where their minds are at. Um, and then after that, uh, Jesus has been in... Um, and among his Jewish uh, people for a while, and he decides that he's had enough of them for a minute because they're, if you remember from chapter 6, they're both not um, trusting him and not listening to him to the point where he's not doing miracles among them because they have no faith in him. And the Pharisees keep coming after him and coming after him and coming after him. So he gets fed up with that and then goes to the region of Tyre. And there... Um, he has a couple interactions with the Gentile people. Um, the first of these is he uh, has an interaction with a Gentile mother where um, she wanted um, her, her daughter to be healed of a demon. And um, she goes and asks Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus talks about how needs to go to the Jews first, to God's chosen people first. And then the woman responds by basically saying, yes, but even the dogs can eat the scraps that fall from the table. Um, and because of her faith and her um, persistence in that, Jesus goes and declares that the demon has left her daughter. He doesn't even go and see her. And then there's kind of um, 
we finish up chapter 7 with what ends up being one of my favorite stories um, in, in this whole section, which is simply called Jesus Does Everything Well. And um, so they go into the Decapolis, which is another Gentile region, um, probably a little bit more Greek-speaking group of people. And um, Jesus goes and he heals a man who is deaf. And the people are astounded by um, what he, how he has healed them, and, uh, or how he heals that man. And they say that he's done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And this kind of draws in direct contrast to, if you flip back to chapter 6, um, at the very, very beginning, it talks about, it's a story that's about the same length that talks about Jesus' rejection at Nazareth. And um, he goes and he quotes, um, I think it's Isaiah, that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And it says in, um, in verse 5, he's, it says that he was not able to do a miracle there, except that he laid hands on a few sick and healed them. So it says he was not able. Now, I had the privilege of getting to sit in on a... Um, doctoral class that Jim was sitting in that was over the book of Mark, and they went into the Greek, and um, they would say that the not able is actually a poor translation there, that a better translation of that phrase is simply didn't. Jesus didn't heal the people because they didn't have faith except for a few, but that's the part that Mark highlights. And then if we flip back to Jesus does everything well at the end of chapter 7. We see that there are these Gentiles that are praising him because of one miracle. And it's once again um, referencing to the fact that uh, salvation is not simply for the Jew, but for the Gentile. Um, Mark does a good bit of that and some of that contrast of the disbelief of the Jewish people and the belief of the Gentiles who have the ability to interact with him. Um, So then coming out of that story, we have the feeding of the 4,000 at the beginning of chapter 8. And this is, um, once again, among Gentile people. And it's very, very similar to the feeding of the 5,000 just a couple chapters earlier. And in this story, um, it's a couple loaves, a few fish, and Jesus replicates, or... um, just makes it be more. Um, It doesn't really talk about how he does that. We can only assume how he goes about that. And um, there's enough left over for there to be seven baskets full. Now, if you know anything about um, Judaism from this time, they kind of valued seven as a holy number. It's how many days they had in their week. Um, And it was just kind of viewed as the anointed number of God in a lot of ways, and is just perfect and round. Um, So that, once again, last time it was 12 baskets, and this time it's 7 baskets. Um, And then coming right out of this story is um, another one of my favorite contrasts in these couple chapters. Um, This section is titled, The Leaven of the Pharisees and Herod in my Bible at least, but it only really talks about that at the beginning and the end of the um, section. It goes, and Jesus has um, this interaction with the Pharisees again, where the Pharisees ask him to do a sign and um, prove that he's the Messiah, and Jesus gets fed up with them and says, why do you need a sign? And then right after this, um, 
it says that his disciples had forgotten to bring bread and only had one loaf. Keep in mind, this is right after Jesus had made just a couple loaves feed 4,000 men, which probably means significantly more people than 4,000. Um, they've got this one loaf, and they're freaking out because they don't think they have enough food. And Jesus is like, really, guys, you don't, you don't get it at this point? You don't get that I'm going to provide for you when... You need to be provided for. And then he goes and references back, um, kind of like what Alec was talking about last week, if you were here, where um, there's just Jesus, Jesus takes time out of his day to feed the 4,000, to feed the 5,000, to go and save um, the disciples from the storm. And it's, it's really, an, um, it's, it's, it just shows how, like, the disciples just really didn't get it and really weren't getting it. Um, and it's really easy for us to look back on that and say, yeah, you weren't getting it, but we probably are about the same way. But anyway, um, then after that, uh, Jesus comes into Bethsaida with his disciples, and um, he heals a blind man. And at the end of this story, Jesus tells the man to not even go into the village. Um, basically, his purpose in saying that is he's telling this man, he's like, you don't need to be talking about who I am. You don't need to be talking about like what I'm doing because that's not my goal here while I'm on earth. And then um, we come into kind of the, the dual stories that we're going to end up covering tonight. So I'm going to start in chapter 8, verse 27, and read through uh, verse 33. So it reads like this. Jesus went out with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Jesus answered him, you are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Now, I think that that, um, first off, we get this really, really cool pinnacle of the entire book of Mark um, at this moment. It's the first time where Jesus is really explicitly declared the Messiah by somebody who's around him. We have a lot of nudges, a lot of pokes saying, hey, at least to the reader saying, hey, do you see you see what he's doing? You see how he's fulfilling these prophecies? But this is just this pinnacle of um, the narrative of Mark where Jesus is declared the Messiah, and it's just said so matter-of-factly. I love that. Um, Peter just says, you're the Messiah. Like, there's no doubt, there's no question. He just states it as it is. Um, and I think that's, that's really cool. But then Jesus says, like, he tells them not to tell anyone about him. And um, I think some of the explanation as to why he says that there and why there are other moments why he says that earlier in the book and then later in the book um, comes in this next little section. So starting in verse 31, it says, Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. Now this is uh, the first time that this bit of the narrative has been told. Like, Jesus is like, okay, so you know I'm the Messiah, so here's the plan. And then, of course, Peter is the one to respond to that and says, 
Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Peter hears these words and is like, no, 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 you're the Messiah. You said that you were going to be this warrior king. You said you were going to end up fulfilling all of these prophecies from the Old Testament, fill all these prophecies that we've been hearing our entire lives and save us from the Gentiles, save us from um, this fate that we thought we were stuck to for our whole lives. And um, he goes and rebukes him over that. And then Jesus responds like this. He says, but turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. So Jesus there, we kind of know the end of the story. We know that Jesus did exactly what he was just talking about. He was killed He died, he was buried, he rose again after three days. Um, So we kind of have the end of the story, so we kind of get to, like, see it from a very removed third-person perspective. Um, So that kind of makes it seem like Peter's being ridiculous, that Peter's being... um, just out of line in the way that he's talking about it, in the way that he's responding to this. But... If we take a second and look at it through Peter's eyes, we start to see like if like he's been taught his whole life that God is going to come and is going to conquer and is going to rule in um, a very militaristic fashion. That's, that's what the Israelites and then the Jews were hoping for and praying for and looking forward to from the very beginning of time. Um, And now Jesus is throwing that right back in his face and telling him, look, this is, it's not what you think it is. And I think, at least um, in my mind, that is why Jesus keeps telling people, hey, don't talk about this, don't talk about this, don't talk about this, is because everybody is going to have the same misconception. Um, Peter's the one who ends up kind of being the vehicle to rebuke Jesus and the one who Jesus speaks against on this topic. Um, But this would have been common pretty much across the board for what people believed was going to happen. If you remember at the beginning of the lesson, we took a minute and talked about some different misconceptions that we might have and some different like things that we have misunderstood about the way life works. Um, and the next thing I'm going to ask is, do we have misconceptions about the way Christianity works? Do we have misconceptions about the way that we today see God? Um, I feel like there's a lot of stuff that um, we just do out of habit or believe out of habit. Um, and it really doesn't line up with what scripture teaches and what God's reality is. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys to get into the same groups that you were talking in a couple minutes ago. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit longer this time. And I want you guys to talk about um, what are some like misconceptions that you think we might have as Christians. Um, I, think, I think this is a really cool exercise to just kind of analyze our faith. So take a couple minutes and talk about that.
I'm going to give you guys about one more minute. I'm going to ask, sorry to interrupt, is, I know this is probably a topic that we could sit here and talk about for quite a while because there are a lot of them, but I want to hear three or four, just, just start throwing them out. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a big one. We like to ascribe um, things like our grandmother dying to God for whatever reason, and it, it's, it's just not what scripture says, yeah. 
What are what are some others? We don't need the Old Testament. <laughs> yep. Yep. We said like you can't have or that like your faith can be only individual. Mm-hmm. It can be like disconnected from other people and like the yep. rest of the church. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's get one more. I heard a bunch of good ones over here. Uh, one I thought of is that it's like all about getting into heaven. Mm, yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one for sure. So yeah, we, we just have all of these crazy, like, misconceptions that if we sit here and think about and compare to what Scripture says, we start to see how they fall short and some of our beliefs fall short. Um, and something that I think ends up happening a lot with our misconceptions is because it doesn't just end up changing our um, perception of like how God does this one thing. It ends up changing our perception of how God is as a whole. Um, I know one of the the biggest ones that I fall into is um, kind of the, the trap of individualism. Um, I feel like I should be strong enough to handle it myself. I should be good enough at what I do to just take care of it and not need help from other people or God because God's created me in such a way that I should be able to do that. And even if that's not how I would say it in my head and even if that's not how I would express it, it ends up dictating a lot of the way that I live my life and a lot of decisions that I make. Um, And I think this here, this particular misconception that Peter has ends up doing a lot to dictate the way that he acts um, moving forward for a while, at least until Jesus' resurrection. Um, We see, especially in the book of Mark, a lot of this stuff is ascribed to Peter. Um, People different scholars have said that they think that uh, Mark may be Peter's account of um, the life of Jesus. And and they tend to believe this because Peter is usually kind of torn down, kind of um, not, not really respected. Like it's the lowest, the least positive view of Peter comes from the book of Mark out of all four Gospels. Um, and so, and if you know the rest of the story... Uh, Peter does things like in the very next chapter when um, the transfiguration happens, which um, we'll end up talking about next week, I'm sure, at least a little bit, um, where Peter's like, do you want me to set up tents when these heavenly beings come down? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Or when um, Jesus gets taken at the garden, um, Peter goes and draws a sword and cuts some dude's ear off. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. That's, that's not what's happening. And then Peter goes on and um, ends up denying Jesus three times as he's being um, put on trial and all of that. And then Jesus says to him, before it even happens, he goes, no, 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 that's, that's not it. You're, you're misunderstanding. Um, and so I think a big, a big, ch- big challenge for us going into this week um, is definitely uh, take some time, take some introspection time to think about um, different ways that like we allow these misconceptions to dictate 
the way that we live our lives and the way that we interact with Jesus. Um, but before we're done, we've got one more story to go through, which is the Jesus talking about taking up your cross. And I think that puts a cap on this whole discussion of misconceptions really, really well. Um, Starting in verse 34, it says, Calling the crowd along with, him, or along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then including 9 verse 1 in this, it says, Then he said to them, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God come in power. Um... The reason that I saved this for last is because we have yet another verse um, that kind of is a big, a couple of things that are big misconceptions. Um, first off, in 9 verse 1, it says that, Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Um, that verse... Um, if, if you read a lot of um, the epistles and the rest of the New Testament, there almost seems to be this sense that they all believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, that the way that they lived their lives was Jesus is coming back soon. And clearly that's not the case because we're living 2,000 years after the events of this book and Jesus still has not returned um, but then we have one more misconception that I think speaks a lot to the way that we live our lives as um, specifically American Christians, and it is the taking up of the cross. I'm going to go ahead and read that um, 8.34 through 38 one more time. And I want this to kind of, as you guys go out into, into your weeks and um, spend some time introspecting, if, if that's a word, um, on what it's like and how you have misconceptions about Jesus and about Christianity, about the way that you should live. Um, take this one to heart. If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life. What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this time that we get to spend together um, diving into your word and learning more about you and learning more about the way that um, you work in our lives. God, I pray as we go out into our weeks that we would spend some time um, thinking about and talking about uh, what it looks like to truly follow you um, 
and working to find ways where we don't always do that, God. Let us in the midst of that discussion, Lord God, live in the truth of the knowledge of your grace, Lord God. Let us remember that we're not really ever going to completely get it, just like um, the disciples really didn't completely get it. Um, But God, please help us to continue to seek you with our whole heart and soul and mind. In your most holy and precious name we pray. Amen.